good evening. Welcome to season two, episode three of Straight Talking English. I am your host, as ever, Catherine, and this is just going to be a really quick whiz through the plot of Macbeth because this is kind of going to be like a game of two halves. I'm going to do the plot as like a little mini episode, stop it, and then I'm dropping the analysis of some of the main images at the same time. So if you want to listen to the plot, you can. If you want to listen to plot and analysis, that's cool. If you don't, then uh, just guess wait for the next one. So our story begins with a battle. The battle happens off stage, I'm assuming for cost reasons. And we hear about it. The king shows up and says, what's going on here, lads? And this half-injured captain gives him a report of what Macbeth has been up to. Doubtful it stood, as two spent swimmers that do cling together and choke their art. The merciless MacDonald, worthy to be a rebel, for to that the multiplying villainies of nature do swarm upon him. From the western isles of kerns and gallow glasses is supplied, and fortune on his damned quarrel smiling showed like a rebel's whore, but all's too weak for brave Macbeth. Well, he deserved that name. Disdaining fortune, with his brandished steel which smoked with bloody execution, like Valor's minion carved out his passage till he faced the slave, which ne'er shook hands nor bade farewell to him till he unseen him from the nave to the chaps and fixed his head upon our battlements. Oh, valiant cousin, worthy gentleman. The king is very, very happy with Mac what Macbeth has to offer. In the meantime, Macbeth has got a little bit lost along with his best mate Banquo. They are stuck on the moor and they run into these three witches. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. How far is call to forest? What are these? So withered and so wild in their attire that look not like the inhabitants of the earth, and yet aren't. Live you, or are you aught that man may question? You seem to understand me by each at once her choppy finger laying upon her skinny lips. You should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. Speak if you can. What are you? All hail, Macbeth. Hail to the Thane of Glams. All hail, Macbeth. Hail to the Thane of Cawdor. All hail, Macbeth. That shalt be king hereafter. Huh? Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, are ye fantastical or that indeed which outwardly ye show? My noble partner, you greet with present grace and great prediction of noble having and of royal hope, but he seems wrapped with all. To me, you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me, who neither beg nor fear your favours nor your hate. Banquo, hail. 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 Lesser than Macbeth. And greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail, 
Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth. Oh, Stay, you imperfect speakers. Tell me more. By Sinal's death, I know I am Thane of Glam's, but how of Cordor? The Thane of Cordor lives, a prosperous gentleman, and to be king stands not within the prospect of belief, no more than to be Cordor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence, or why upon this blasted heap you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. Speak, I charge you. <laughs> days says Macbeth life is good I must be becoming king but he is a little bit skeptical he goes back to the camp and he finds out he has been made Thane of Cordor now at this point he is the perfect Jacobean manly manly man so when the king says, why have you been so brave? This is his response. Your Highness part is to receive our duties, and our duties are to your throne and state, children and servants, which do but what they should by doing everything safe toward your love and honour. So even though he is this perfect, perfect guy, he has a very close relationship with his wife, which is quite unexpected in Jacobean times. He decides he's gonna write her a letter, letting her know what happened. She is a very, very ambitious woman. And this is her response. She starts by reading the letter out and then by sharing her plan. They met me in the day of success. And I have learned by the perfect's report they have more in them than mortal knowledge. When I burnt in desire to question them further, they made themselves air, into which they vanished. Whilst I stood wrapped in the wonder of it came missives from the king, who all hailed me Thane of Cordor, by which title before these weird sisters saluted me and referred me to the coming on of time with Hail, King, that shalt be. This have I thought good to deliver thee, my dearest partner of greatness, that thou mightst not lose the dues of rejoicing by being ignorant of what greatness is promised thee. Lay it to thy heart and farewell. Glams thou art, and Cordor, and shalt be what thou art promised. Yet do I fear thy nature. It is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great, art not without ambition, but without the illness should attend it. What thou wouldst highly, that wouldst thou holily, wouldst not play false, and yet wouldst wrongly win. Thou'dst have great glams, that which cries, Thus thou must do, if thou have it, And that which rather thou dost fear to do, Than wishest should be undone. I thee hither, That I may pour my spirits in thine ear, 
and chastise with the valour of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned withal. What is your tidings? The king comes here tonight. Hot mad to say it. Is not thy master with him? Who wert so would have informed for preparation. So please you, it is true. Our thane is coming. One of my fellows had the speed of him, who almost dead for breath had scarcely more than would make up his message. Give him tending. He brings great news. My lady. The raven himself is hoarse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. You spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood, stop up the access and passage to remorse, but no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. Wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief, come, thick night, and pour thee in the dunnest smoke of hell that my keen knife See not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry, hold, hold. After this revelation that she is a bit crackers and she seems to not have a problem with being cruel, they come up with a plot to kill the king blame it on his son, and then Macbeth can take the throne. Macbeth needs a lot of cajoling into this, but eventually he agrees. And at this point, it is mostly Lady Macbeth's idea. He goes out with a dagger to kill the king, who is staying overnight at his house for a party. And on his way down there, he sees a vision of a ghostly dagger in the air before him, warning him of what he's about to do. Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not. And yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain? I see thee yet, in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marshalst me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade and dudgeon, gouts of blood, which was not so before. 
There's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Now o'er the one half world, nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtained sleep. Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings and withered murder. Alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf, whose howls his watch, thus with his stealthy pace, with Tarquin's ravishing strides towards his design, moves like a ghost. Thou sure and firm set earth, Hear not my steps which way they walk, for fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout, and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whiles I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds, too cold breath gives. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell which summons thee to heaven or to hell. So he comes back in and he's got the blood all over him after stabbing the king in his sleep. Lady Macbeth is like, no, 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 it's fine. You wash yourself off. I'll smear this blood on his servants. There's no problem. We're already getting a sense that he's the one who's affected by this because he's worried that God has forsaken him and he'll never be able to sleep again. But the next day, the king's son, Malcolm, comes on in, says, oh my gosh, what's happened? They do some terrible acting and go, oh no, how could this have happened? Malcolm and his brother, sensing something comes up, run off to England. Macbeth takes this as proof of their treachery and goes, well, now they're gone, I guess I must be the king. Right, no problem. Problem does come in when he thinks back to the witch's prophecies. First one, he'll become Thane of Glam's and Cawdor, came true. He'll become king, becomes true. But, but, the problem is that he won't have a line of kings. He won't start a dynasty. That honour is for Banquo, his best friend. So in order to influence the future... Macbeth decides he's going to kill Banquo and his whole family. He hires these three characters, the fabulously named murderers, to off Banquo. They kill his wife, they kill the rest of his children, they kill Banquo in a ditch. But his son survives. Macbeth, okay, not that bothered by this so far. They're throwing a feast. And someone invites him to sit down. Problem is, he sees Banquo's ghost sitting there, gurning at him. Sweet remembrancer. (laughs) Now, good digestion, weight on appetite, and health on both. May it please your highness, sit. Here had we now our countries on a roof were the graced person of our Banquo present, <laughs> who may I rather challenge for unkindness than pity for mischance. His absence, sir, lays blame upon his uh, promise. Pleased, your highness, to grace us with your royal company. The table's full. Here is a place reserved, sir. Where? Here, my good lord. Uh, what is that moves, your highness? 
Which of you have done this? Thou canst not say I did it. Never shake thy gory locks at me. Gentlemen, rise. His Highness is not well. Sit, worthy friends. My lord is often thus, and hath been from his youth. Pray you keep seat, the fit is momentary. Upon a thought he will again be well. If much you note him, you shall offend him and extend his passion. Feed and regard him not. Your Majesty. Ah, you are mad. I and the bold one that dare look on that which might appall the devil. Very proper stuff. This is the very painting of your fear. This is the air-drawn dagger which you said led you to Duncan. Oh, these flaws and starts, impostors to true fear, would well become a woman's story at a winter's fire authorized by her granddad. Shame itself. Why do you make such faces? When all's done, you look but on a stool. Prithee, see there. Behold, look low. How say you? Why, what care I if thou canst nod? Speak, too. If charnel houses and our graves must send those we bury back, our monuments shall be the moors of kites. What? Quite unmanned in folly. If I stand here, I saw him. I for shame. Blood hath been shed ere now in the olden time, ere human statute purged the gentle wheel. I and since, too, murders have been performed too terrible for the ear. The time has been that when the brains were out, the man would die and there an end. But now they rise again with twenty mortal murders on their crowns and push us from our stools. This is more strange than such a murder is. My worthy lord... Your noble friends do lack you. I do forget. Do not muse at me, my most worthy friends. I have a strange infirmity, which is nothing to those that know me. Come, love and health to all, then I'll sit down. Give me some wine, fill full. I drink to the general joy of the whole table and to our dear friend Banquo, whom we miss. Would he were here. To all and him we thirst and all to all. And quit my sight. Let the earth hide thee. Thy bones are marrowless, thy blood is cold. Thou hast no speculation in those eyes which thou dost glare with. Think of this, good peers, but as a thing of custom. Tis no other, only it spoils the pleasure of the time. What man dare I dare? Approach thou like the rugged Russian bear, the armed rhinoceros, or the Hurkan tiger. Take any shape but that, and my firm nerves shall never tremble. Or be alive again, and dare me to the desert with thy sword. If trembling I inhabit, then protest me the baby of a girl. Hence horrible shadow, unreal mockery. Hence! <sighs> Why so? Being gone, I am a man again. Sensibly enough at this point, having seen a vision of his best friend, he goes back to the witches. They give him some very specific prophecies the second time around. How now, you secret black and midnight hags? What is it you do? 
A, a deed, deed without, without a name. name. I conjure you by that which you profess, however you come to know it, answer me. Though you untie winds and let them fight against the churches, though the yesty waves confound and swallow navigation up, though bladed corn be lodged and trees blown down, though castles topple on their warders' heads, though palaces and pyramids do slope their heads to their foundations, though the treasure of nature's German tumble altogether even till destruction sicken, answer me to what I ask you. Speak. Demand. We'll answer. Say, if thou'd rather hear it from our mouths or from our masters. Call them. Let me see them. Pour in sow's blood that hath eaten her nine pharaoh. Grease that sweatened from the murderer's gibbet. Throw into the flame. Come high or low. Thyself and office deftly show. Tell me, thou unknown power. He knows thy thought. Hear his speech, but say thou not. Macbeth. 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 Beware Macduff. Beware the thane of Fife. Dismiss me. Enough. Whatever thou art for thy good caution, thanks. Thou hast harped my fear aright. But one word more. He will not be commanded. Here's another, more potent than the first. <laughs> Macbeth. 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 Had I three ears, I'd hear thee. Be bloody, bold, and resolute. Laugh to scorn the power of man, for none of woman born shall harm Macbeth. <laughs> then live, Macduff, what need I fear of thee? But yet I'll make assurance double sure and take a bond of fate. Thou shalt not live that I may tell pale-hearted fear it lies and sleep in spite of thunder. What is this? that rises like the issue of a king, and wears upon his baby brow the round and top of sovereignty. Listen, but speak, speak not to it. Be lion-mettled, proud, and take no care who chafes, who frets, or where conspirers are. Macbeth shall never vanquished be until great Burnham Wood to high Dunsinane Hill shall come against him. <laughs> that will never be. Who can impress the forest, bid the tree unfix his earthbound root? Sweet bodements. Good. Rebellious head, rise never till the wood of Burnham rise. And our high-placed Macbeth shall live the lease of nature, pay his breath to time and mortal custom. Yet my heart throbs to know one thing. Tell me if your art can tell so much. Shall Banquo's issue ever reign in this kingdom? Seek to know no more. I will be satisfied. Deny me this and an eternal curse fall on you. Let me know. Why sinks that cauldron? And what noise is this? Show. Show. Show his eyes and grieve his heart. Come like shadows, 
so depart. Thou art too like the spirit of Banquo. Down, thy crown does sear mine eyeballs, and thy hair, thou other gold-bound brow, is like the first. A third is like the former. Filthy hags, why do you show me this? A fourth, start eyes. What will the line stretch out to the crack of doom? Another yet, a seventh, I'll see no more. And yet an eighth appears, who bears a glass which shows me many more. And some I see, the twofold balls and treble scepters carry. Horrible sight! Now I see it is true, for the blood-bolted Banquo smiles upon me and points at them for his. What? Is this so? Aye, sir, this is so. <laughs> All right, when I said very specific, I may have been exaggerating. First of all, beware Macduff. All right. Macduff is going to be a problem. He is another lord. He is an upright, pleasant person. So, naturally, Macbeth sends someone in to kill his whole family. Macduff, who is away in England with Malcolm, hears about this. And along with the various other lords who have defected from the tyrant Macbeth's rule, they launch an assault back on his palace, his castle, with the help of the English. Part of their plan is to hide their approach by cutting off bits of the trees to get close to the castle without anyone seeing. So that would definitely count as Burnham Wood come to Dunsinane. In the meantime, while all this fighting is going along, Lady Macbeth has started sleepwalking and saying some very disturbing things. Her maidservant calls in a doctor to see what the heck is up with her. I have two nights watched with you, but can perceive no truth in your report. When was it she last walked? Since His Majesty went into the field, I have seen her rise from her bed, throw her nightgown upon her, unlock her closet, take forth paper, fold it, write upon it, read it, afterwards seal it, and again return to bed. Yet all this while in a most fast sleep. A great perturbation in nature to receive at once the benefit of sleep and do the effects of watching... In this slumbery agitation, besides her walking and other actual performances, what at any time have you heard her say? That, sir, which I will not report after her. You may to me, and tis most meet you should. Neither to you nor anyone, having no witness to confirm my speech. Lo, you, here she comes. This is her very guise, and upon my life, fast asleep. Observe her, and stand close. How came she by that light? Why, it stood by her. She has light by her continually. It is her command. You see, her eyes are open. Aye, but their sense is shut. What is it she does now? Look how she rubs her hands. It is an accustomed action with her to seem thus washing her hands. I have known her continuing this a quarter of an hour. Yes. Yes, a spot. Hark, she speaks. I will set down what comes from her to satisfy my remembrance the more strongly. Out. Damn it, Spot. Out, I say. One. Two. 
I meant this time to do it. Oh, it's murky. Fie, my lord, fie. A soldier and a feared. What need we fear? Who knows it? When none can call our power to account. Uh, and who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? Do you mark that? A vein of fire had a wife. Where is she now? But will his hands never be clean? No more of that, my lord. No more of that. You mar all with this starting. Go to, go to. Yeah. You have known what you should not. She has spoke what she should not, I'm sure of that. Heaven knows what she has known. The smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. What a sigh is there. The heart is sorely charged. I would not have such a heart in my bosom for the dignity of the whole body. Well, well, well. Pray God it be, sir. This disease is beyond my practice, yet I have known those which have walked in their sleep who have died holily in their beds. Wash your hands. Put on your nightgown. Look not so pale. I tell you yet again, Banker's buried. He cannot come out on his grave. Even so. To bed. To bed. As knocking at the gate. Come. Come, come, come. Give me your hand. What's done? Yeah, that doesn't sound good, does it? No, not really. She, unfortunately, meets a sticky end by being so tormented and unable to sleep that she throws herself off the battlements. Macbeth hears about this mid-battle and is quite sad, but at this point has just become the stereotype of what he once was, a violent soldier. He finally gets cornered by Macduff, who reveals that he was born by Caesarean section and therefore was not really of woman born. They have tied me to a stake. I cannot fly, but bear like I must fight the course. What's he that was not born of woman? Such a one I am to fear, or none. What is thy name? Thou'lt be afraid to hear it. No, that I call myself a harder name than any is in hell. My name's Macbeth. The devil himself could not pronounce a title more hateful to mine ear. No, no more fearful. Oh, thou liest to borrow tyrant. With my sword, I'll prove the lie thou speak! <laughs> thou wast born of woman. At swords I smile at, weapons laugh to scorn, brandished by man that's of a woman born. That way the noises. Tyrant, show thy face. 
If thou beest slain, and with no stroke of mine, my wife and children's ghosts will haunt me still. I cannot strike at wretched kerns whose arms are hired to bear their staves. Neither thou, Macbeth, or else my sword with an unbattered edge I sheathe again undeeded. There shouldst thou be. By this great clatter, one of greatest note seems bruited. Let me find him fortune, and more I beg not. This way, my lord. The castle is gently rendered. The tyrant's people on both sides do fight. The noble thanes do bravely in the war. The day almost itself professes yours, and little is to do. I have met with foes that strike beside us. Enter, sir, the castle. Why should I play the Roman fool and die on mine own sword while I see lives the gashes do better on them? Turn, hellhound, turn! Of all men else I have avoided thee, but get thee back. My soul is too much charged with blood of thine already. I have no words. My voice is in my sword, thou bloodier villain than terms can give thee out. Thou losest labour. <laughs> as easy mayst thou the entrenchant air with thy keen sword impress as make me bleed. Let fall thy blade on vulnerable crests. I bear a charmed life which must not yield to one of woman born. Despair thy charm and let the angel whom thou still hast served tell thee Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely ripped. Accursed be that tongue that tells me so. For it hath cowed my better part of man. And be these juggling fiends no more believed that porter with us in a double sense, that keep the word of promise to our ear and break it to our hope. I'll not fight with thee. Then yield thee, coward, and live to be the show and gaze of the time. We'll have thee as our rarer monsters are, painted upon a pole and under it. Here may you see the tyrant. I will not yield to kiss the ground before young Malcolm's feet and to be baited with the rabble's curse, though Burnham would be come to Dunsinane and thou opposed being of no woman born, yet I will try the last. Before my body I throw my warlike shield, lay on Macduff, and damn be him which first cries, hold him up! So, yeah, that's it. His head ends up on the top of a stick. He is considered to be a butcher. His wife fiend like. And the rulership, the monarchy of Scotland, is returned to its rightful people. There you go. Comparatively a short Shakespeare play in about 35 minutes. 
with some of the really nice clips from this fabulous 1966 radio play I found. So as I said at the start, this is a game of two halves. If you're only interested in the plot, not the analysis, then turn off now. Cool, you've done it. Because I'm dropping the episodes back to back. Same time, if you click on episode four, you will hear my analysis of some of the main themes and imagery. So I very much hope I hear from you soon. If not... Be excited about the characters episode coming up, as always, straighttalkingenglish.com, and I will return very, very shortly.